You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today at Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium. Uh, I am very uh, thankful to have with me today Nate Adams. Um, you can find him on YouTube as Nate the House Whisperer, uh, which it, we'll talk about why that is today. Um, he has a number of different businesses and uh, is affiliated with a couple movements, uh, Electrify Everything, as well as HVAC 2.0. Um, I'll ask you more about those, but welcome, Nate. Thank you for being here. Uh, glad to be here, Ian. Thanks for having me. For sure. Um, yeah, I wanted to kick it off. We'll talk about those two movements and how how those have come about. But uh, <laughs> you asked me before we hopped on here if you could tackle the word sustainability. So I, why not? That's a great place to start. What is your working definition of sustainability, and how does that uh, how does that program at your work? Um, so personally, I find the word really frustrating now. <laughs> Um, because it doesn't mean all that much in a lot of cases. It's, it's a little too broad. Sometimes yeah. it's been, you know, uh, pulled to mean two different things. It, it feels to me a lot like the word green, which doesn't really have a good definition anymore. Um, mm. you know, maybe it did around 2000, maybe 2005, and then it felt like it kind of got co-opted. So uh, I love the idea of sustainability, if I don't necessarily like the word sustainability. Uh, <laughs> and so, so what, yeah, what, what, uh, what do you think of when you, when you think, when you approach a project, um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that may be, whether it's looking at electrification of a home or it's designing an HVAC system, or it's, you know, working on some of the campaigns that, that you're doing to bring education and awareness to uh, people in the industry, as well as the general populace. Um, and clients, obviously, specifically, um, you know, where does where does that sustainability uh, filter, you know, find its way into your to your work, or what do you what do you envision when you think of sustainability as it relates to you? So, um, it's that, that's it's an interesting way to get there. We view it as a byproduct and not a goal. I like that. Um, just as efficiency is usually a byproduct. Um, so what we are usually aiming to do is figure out what bothers a client about their house. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, if you dig into it, uh, well, just two weeks ago, we had a client. Uh, she uses their bedroom as her office, but the rest of the house is cold. And she said, if the rest of the house could be as comfortable as my office, I'd never want to move. <laughs> That's a really key thing to know. Uh, so I want to know what makes it comfortable. Yeah. Um, why do you like that room? Uh, and then try and peel it apart uh, so that I can begin to figure out what's it going to take to make that house awesome. 
so in the, it, we'll keep touching on it, but the HVAC 2.0 process, it's, it's an entire process. And the easiest way to look at it is it's like nursing for houses. I won't say it's like doctors because doctors actually have a crappy process. In a lot of cases. You can <laughs> hey, we're in agreement on that. Yeah. yeah. But nurses, um, uh, they have to solve problems quickly and well every day repeatedly. So they have a process. Um, it's called ADPI. Uh, they assess the problem. Um, they diagnose the problem. Uh, they plan what the solution is. They implement the solution. And then they evaluate if that solution worked. And so we have that built in to our process. So like, do you have mold problems? I want to know about that when and mm -hmm. where. Do you have bugs coming in? I want to know about that when and where, what kind of bug. Um, do you have drafts? Where does that happen? Uh, so the more we can pull the clues together, um, it also makes me think like Scooby-Doo, ooh, a clue. You know, like people just leave that stuff lying around. Uh, <laughs> lousy murderers if they're leaving clues around for teenagers to find. Yeah, you could um, be Nate the house detective as well as the house whisperer, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Kind of, yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, what we're trying to do is we are trying to uh, create a Venn diagram. So there's three circles in the Venn. Um, there are what the client goals are, there's what the budget is for the project, and there's what their house needs. Because if you can't get those three circles to overlap, you don't have a viable project. Mm -hmm. um, and also, those circles need to overlap with good odds of success. Because do you want to spend 15 grand for 50-50 odds? No, I don't. Definitely not. <laughs> um, now, if you're talking 80, 85% odds, okay. Like we're to the point where we could probably tweak it, but uh, buildings are complicated things. Yeah. Like there's, they're a system of systems that work together and you change two or three things and you drastically change how the rest of it works. And that works for ill and for good. So we work very hard to understand what is it going to take to get good odds to solve the problems that our clients want to solve. Yeah. And if we do that, um, like uh, part of how the whole heat pump thing ended up coming to be was heat pumps have lower output capacities than furnaces. So the smallest commonly available furnace is 60,000 BTUs. The largest commonly available heat pumps is also 60,000 BTUs. So those just barely cross right in the middle. Uh, and what we find in Cleveland is if you do a load calculation to see how much it's going to take to heat and cool a house mm -hmm. and you do it well, so you're using the air leakage, you're using the actual energy bills, you're not standing across the street holding up fingers to see how many will cover the house. So, <laughs> you know, three fingers is 60,000, four fingers is 80. And I'm only kind of joking. Um, yeah, that's, that's a actually common practice. Kind of yeah. how it happens. Uh, it, it's all gut. Like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for years. This is how we do this. Like, yeah, but you don't do it with any science behind it. Right. And um, when was the last time you took, you know, like a continuing education course on on those things? <laughs> yeah. So nobody knows that. But you start doing your load calcs, and very consistently, uh, houses here in Cleveland. So I yeah. mean, this is not a warm climate. We're not crazy cold, but you know, we have winters where we spend two months below freezing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's not gentle. And you're from Rochester. From Rochester, New York. The, yeah. That's the same climate, basically. Yeah. Uh, we're almost the, the same effect. number of degree days. Exactly. Yep. yep. Um, so when you look at a house that's 2,000 square feet or less, most houses can be heated with a three-ton heat pump, which is 36,000 BTUs. So the appropriate piece of equipment is smaller than the furnace you can buy. So you end up using a heat pump.
and that was kind of how this all began. Like, huh. wait, this is the wrong piece of equipment. Because um, the other thing you want to do is if you want to provide really good comfort, uh, and actually you, you want to give a trickle of heat or cool. So the easiest analogy for this is probably, uh, say you want to get clean. And I give you the option, you have 10 gallons of water either way. I either have a giant bucket, 10 gallons, to dump over your head all at once. Yeah, I see where you're going. Or you can take a five-minute shower. Yeah. Which one would you rather have? <laughs> Certainly the, the shower, yes. Okay, no ice bucket challenge for you. Darn. I mean, I've done the ice bucket challenge. Season. And, you know, maybe <laughs> if I was that hot, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was an unpleasant thing. Um, <laughs> maybe 5% uh, of the time I'd choose the bucket. But, you know, <laughs> there you go. 95 uh, uh, but the, the, the analogy holds for a house where most furnaces are three to four times as large as they need to be when it's very cold outside. So for both of our climates, it's about five degrees is where 99% um, of our year we are above five degrees in both our climates, um, or your home climate, not California. Yes, I'm here in California uh, now. Very different. Yes, very different climate. <laughs> uh, but 99% uh, of the time, you're above that temperature. So if it's three or four times bigger than it needs to be when it's insanely cold outside, how much bigger do you think it is than it needs to be when it's 50 outside? Yeah. Like so did you just kind of, did you just kind of stumble? You, you said, you know, that you, you just discovered it. Mm -hmm. You stumble upon it. Were you looking for a better alternative? You just, you, you finally did the load calcs and did the, you know, the, the um, energy modeling on the front end and said, wait a second, <laughs> Eureka, there is no... Uh, gas furnace out there that, that's doing the right thing. It's, it's not that far from the truth. So uh, my business partner who lives in Rochester, like we yeah. were talking about just before the show started, um, he did his mom's house about 10 years ago and they put a hybrid in her house. So a hybrid is a heat pump on top of a furnace. Okay. So an air conditioner is basically half a heat pump. It's a heat pump that only goes one way. It can mm -hmm. only cool. Um, a heat pump for residential HVAC means it will heat and cool. So it goes both ways. Um, and so he put a heat pump on top of a furnace and then on a five degree day and his mom's house was built about 1980, about 3000 square feet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, she called him and said, Hey, Teddy, uh, the, it's okay. Like the house is warm, but the air coming out of the vents is kind of cold. Um, and he in his mind is instantly like, son of a, they didn't tell the thermostat that the furnace existed. Oh. Um, so it only knew that there was a heat pump. And the heat pump was heating her 3,000 square foot house on a five degree day in Rochester, New York. And he's like, why do we need a furnace? This is stupid. Because <laughs> um, the operation costs aren't necessarily all that different. Um, yeah. You're within a couple hundred bucks a year for most of the country with our, uh, if you're talking average energy costs. Uh, so that was his first eye-opening thing. And then the whole um, idea of trickling the heater cold out, um, it's called mean radiant temperature. Um, so mean radiant temperature, it's the average of all of the surfaces around us. And that is actually how our bodies determine if we're comfortable or not. Hmm. We have 150,000 temperature sensors in our skin, mainly in our extremities, hands, face, feet, uh, that tell us if we're comfortable or not. And so what you want to do is get all the surfaces, so all the walls, the ceilings, the floors, the furniture, all of that stuff in your house, you want to get it as close to the same temperature and as close to the thermostat temperature as you possibly can, and then you will get comfortable. And you can do that with air by trickling 
small amounts of heat or cool into the house to match what it needs. So it's that shower instead of the, the bucket. Well, so, so for, for instance, bucket, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind my jumping in here for a oh, second, like when my wife and I are in the car, um, mm-hmm. you know, she is very affected by temperature. I seem to not be. It's odd. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she'll flip it all the way, you know, to the to the AC. Um, and then, you know, two minutes later, then flip it back to the heat, you know, and I'm always thinking like, oh, well, what if we just found that happy medium? Is is this that same situation just applied in a home? It is largely. Uh, so the, the the key difference between a house and a car is we don't leave our houses outside baking in the sun and let the interiors get to 120 degrees before we get in them. Um, so <laughs> cars have that first big lift when you get in and it's hot and sunny outside. Uh, but in general, yes, it's you're, you're just trying to match rather than let's go all the way hot and then all the way cold and back and forth. Like, let's just set it to where it's a good, happy medium and mm-hmm. let it rip. Uh, but to do that, you also need, you need basically a throttle with the uh, HVAC. So it can't be on off that single stage equipment. And that's about 85% of residential equipment. So wow. the odds are in your attic or crawl space or basement right now, um, you have a single stage piece of equipment. You can't provide good comfort. That is that ice bucket sitting in your uh, mechanical space, wherever that is. Um, what you want is a throttle. You want that shower. So you want to be able to give it 25% throttle or 50% throttle or 100% throttle. But 100% throttle needs to be matched to what the house actually needs on that hottest or coldest day and not be three to four times what it actually needs. Um, and so by doing that, we ended up figuring out, oh, a modulating heat pump that modulates down to 25% of full capacity is a really good fit for most applications. Um, and like that's, it's kind of mind blowing when you start figuring it out. And then you also think about, uh, you know, renewable energy is getting cheaper and cheaper. We're, mm-hmm. we're on a downward cost curve. Right. So like oil and gas, those are stable technologies. Uh, you know, frack gas is as cheap as we have seen in 40 years and frackers are not making money. They're starting to have trouble getting loans uh, because they haven't made money. Uh, for so long. So the odds of natural gas prices going down are basically zero. Yeah. Um, it's not going to get a lot cheaper than where we are. Uh, where renewables, when you look at solar and winds, they're, they're like flat screen TVs. Their costs are plummeting. So are batteries. So they have further down to go. And at this point, we're basically at cost parity, operation cost parity between mm-hmm. the two. You know, it's within 20%. So, you know, it depends where you are. It could be a little better, a little worse. Well, and that's for the appliances to some degree too. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when you're looking at, uh, like you said, that, that smallest uh, gas furnace versus the the largest or a right sized electric uh, heat pump, you're looking at a pretty similar cost as well. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's something that people, I don't think, no, they think they're twice as expensive or five times as expensive, you know, they can be. So this is part of why we have ended up coming into this through the HVAC side Mm -hmm. um, because the program we have developed is aimed at HVAC contractors Um, but it's for them to work with homeowners. So we really have two clients in that. We have contractors and homeowners. And our big goal is we want to provide very good experiences for both of them. And if we do that, we win. Um, uh, What are some of the conversations that that you've had, you know, when you're you're trying to talk to other uh, HVAC contractors about this? You know, what are are some of the responses uh, you get? Are they excited to hear about it? Are they, you know, dismissive? Uh, I mean, what's the general Um, reaction? 
so it depends where you are. So like Southeast is predominantly all electric. Yeah. Um, so they're used to that. But like, it, so we also, we should back up and take a look at um, climates, climate zones right. in the US. So uh, climate zone one is basically Miami and Hawaii. And that's basically it. Tropical. Um, Super yeah, tropical. basically tropical. Um, uh, they, they've been talking about doing a climate zone zero, which would be like uh, Costa Rica or something like that. Oh, wow. you know, okay. um, where, you know, it's 70 degrees, 80 degrees all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, so climate zones one through four um, are not too severe of winters. Climate zone four, you're starting to get where the winters are cold. They're not frigid. Climate mm -hmm. zone five is the first cold climate zone. And that's where Rochester and uh, Cleveland are, as is Chicago. Um, climate zone six is getting quite nippy. So you're probably going to spend a substantial number of hours below zero in climate mm -hmm. zone six. So that's like Minneapolis. Um, and that's basically very few people live above climate zone six population wise. Yeah. Um, so there's some, but not a lot. Um, and then there's climate zone seven and eight. Um, and eight is like uh, Northern Alaska. So Alaska. Yeah. Crazy. And seven's like most of Canada, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Six or seven. It, it, it depends. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, um, if you're talking climate zones one through four, heat pumps have been a pretty good solution there for 50 years. <laughs> um, that's a, my business partner's uh, good buddy just pulled a heat pump out of his mom's house in Rochester that was 40 years old. Wow. Um, but he has a, uh, a muni there. So he gets four cent kilowatt hours. So he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it uses 30,000 kilowatt hours a year. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, he, he got a Tesla Model 3 and he loves it. He basically pays nothing for fuel anymore. Wow. Because um, four cent kilowatt hours are obscenely cheap. You know, California is like 20. Right. Um, we're 13. Uh, and 13 is basically the national average. Uh, but um, anyway, so... Uh, the the latest generation of heat pumps that came out in the past 10 years or so where they're starting to get popular they're called inverters those um can now handle climate zone five the whole thing pretty easily and a good chunk of six um so six is harder you need to get houses tighter and better insulated for a heat pump to be a really good match there uh, a big issue with heat pumps is as it gets colder outside their output drops um, <laughs> So like at zero degrees, it may only be kicking out half of its rated output. And that's a problem because you need more than its rated output at that point. And you make up for it usually with resistance backup heat. Um, so not meaning to get uh, technical, but uh, yeah. um, you know, a heat pump, it's just like your air conditioner, only it's actually pulling heat out of the cold air, which seems strange, but your refrigerator is doing that right now. So, so is that what you mean when you're saying the, the dual mode then? Is yes, the, it okay, it's got cool. that back yeah. that backup so it can put out what needs to be put out in, in that event. Yes. Yeah. So the backup, it's it's resistance electric. So think yeah. of it like your toaster only on steroids. So <laughs> a toaster is usually 700 watts. Um, backup heat strips are usually 7,000 to 15,000 watts. Okay. So toaster on steroids. And sometimes they're known <laughs> as toasters. There's like 20 different names for it, like everything in construction. So we can all take talk about the same thing and none of us know what the other one's talking about. So yeah. Use a different name. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so to tie all the back, heat pumps now work really well in climate zones five and six. And because of their outputs matching what the houses need, they, uh, they're, they're the best piece of equipment to solve most client problems. And 
they, they're the, I mean, it's, you can't run a furnace on renewable energy. So a heat pump is electric, so you can run it on uh, solar and wind, which are getting cheaper. Yeah. Um, and they're clean. So the sustainability part is twofold. One, we're converting houses to run on clean energy and the grid's getting cleaner day by day and the math is getting so freaking good. It's, it's insane. Like Michigan and Colorado both opted to shut down uh, coal plants like 10 or 20 years before their retirement because it was cheaper to stop running the coal plants and build a solar plant and then operate that solar plant at the same capacity than it was to keep running the coal plant. That's incredible. That's how good the math is. Um, So whether we want it to or not, the math is going to force us to go clean in the next decade. So we might as well convert everything in our lives to run on it. Um, And then the second piece of the sustainability part is, uh, I don't know what it is with me, but I love old houses. Um, And I don't like new ones. I just don't. Um, uh, They're they're soulless boxes for the most part, um, built by the cheapest bidder. Uh, And uh, so my favorite houses are 1900 to 1945 nice. uh, because they have soul. They're really well built. Um, they're beefy. They've got all kinds of cool little built-ins and they're uh, just everything about them. is just nicer than newer houses in my opinion, but they're horribly leaky and inefficient. So they right. need somebody like me. Uh, but if we can take that house and make it up to modern standards, uh, I think we can agree that's pretty darn sustainable versus tearing it down and building a new one. Yeah. We talk about adaptive reuse and, and, and renovation, you know, quite a bit on the podcast. Cause really I've, I've heard that that is the, you know, they've done the math on that one and that's the number one way we can sort of mitigate uh, climate change and, and carbon, the carbon footprint yeah. is by building fewer new construction. And obviously when we do, you know, when there are opportunities to do new construction and, and the site, says you have to, or there's nothing on the site already, then great. Let's, let's do a net zero building. Let's, you know, have it be all electric, uh, you know, in new construction. But yeah, I love the idea that you can take something that was not designed for, uh, for, you know, was designed for an energy grid that existed a long time ago and basically say, (laughs) yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And say, Hey, let's, you know, let's create something new. Um, I also love the idea of smart grids and the, you know, the more people that have all electric appliances and mm-hmm. solar panels, you know, the more we can start as a community and as a society to, to sort of take some of that power away from the existing infrastructure and the players in that existing infrastructure and say, you know what, we can do this better ourselves. And there's some empowerment, um, Definitely. no pun intended, but there's some empowerment uh, there for people. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that I really think, you know, we were talking about education awareness a little bit. And, and that's obviously a big, a big thing that you're doing as well is just educating people and saying, Hey, there's a better way. Um, so yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about the reactions that you get when you're talking to, to those guys. That's just yeah. where I wanted to go back to the, the contractors. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, I should ask you a question. Did sure. anyone in your family have, um, an American made diesel car in the early eighties. Do you not that I'm aware of? I don't, I don't think so. No. Okay. They, they were despised because they were such 
horrible pieces of equipment. Um, I had a, a professor in college who worked at GM as they were coming out with a diesel engine. And like a, a diesel engine works pretty differently from a gas engine. But uh, the powers that be decided, well, we're going to take this 454, which is their standard big V8, and we're just going to make it a diesel, but we're not going to engineer it. And it was a turd. It was <laughs> awful. Um, my dad had a 1983 uh, diesel dually Chevy, wow. and uh, he restored cars. So he had to tow this big trailer uh, with a car in it. The truck wouldn't break 50 miles an hour on the highway. <laughs> That's horrific. That's um, one time imagine. going up a hill, towing our boat, it just stopped and started rolling Ooh. backwards with the engine screaming. Um, oh my gosh. And he was furious about it. Um, it took him 30 years to buy another diesel. Yeah. That experience is how most cold climate HVAC contractors feel about heat pumps. Hmm. They tried one, it broke on them. They got tons of complaints. They went and did callbacks. They lost a bunch of money. They pulled it out. Um, they despise heat pumps. Um, in fact, Chicago, I don't know what happened. I haven't found the backstory yet, but you literally cannot buy a unitary heat pump, which is like, instead of an air conditioner, you get the heat pump version. So I'm not talking yeah. mini splits where it's like a little head that sits on the wall, like at a hotel room or something, but a unitary heat pump, like a standard air conditioner, you cannot buy one in Chicago. Nobody stocks them anywhere. What is that? The third largest city in yeah. the U S and you can't even buy a heat pump. And here's the problem with that. 87% of residential HVAC replacement is emergency. So if mm. it's not in stock, it doesn't get installed. And every six seconds, a new piece of residential HVAC is started up in the U.S. And every six seconds, we lost that opportunity to electrify that piece of HVAC until 2035 or 2040. Um, so like... We need to be going now yeah. <laughs> if we want to do that now. Yeah. Uh, but we have to start with those HVAC guys because if they aren't comfortable with heat pumps or with hybrids, uh, do you think they can talk a homeowner out of that? No, certainly not. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they, they can, I mean, they can talk a homeowner out of a heat pump all day long, including Sunday. Um, like, it's just oh yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I mean, they, the they, they will totally stop that sale from happening. Right. Um, like, oh no, you don't want that. So it's right. It's so like they're Andy's not even decent. being, they're not even being presented with the option, you know, exactly. not, not even the correct information, but even the option itself, you know, yes. say yes. you've got a smart homeowner who maybe has done a little bit of research and actually is open to the idea. Then they encounter that situation and, Oh, I guess, you know, business as usual, stick with, with what works, but that's exactly. not, it's yeah. We've always done it that way yeah. is the, are the, it's the most dangerous phrase in the English language. Um, uh, Cause there's always a different way to do things and usually better. Um, well, let's flip, let's flip it around. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Can, can you give an example? There were a couple on your, on your website, a bunch on your website, actually, mm -hmm. um, that you, uh, that you deemed houses of the future, which I thought was really cool because both of them were built in the, in that time period you were talking about 1900 through like 1920 or so. Yep. Um, and one was cool because, you know, I, I very rarely hear about people installing ducts as a retrofit. I mean, normally, you know, if you don't have ducts, then you're going to tr try to <laughs> do something else or figure out another solution. So um, can you talk a little bit about one or the other uh, of those case studies on your website and maybe like a yeah. positive experience? So despite all the haters, <laughs> let's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. let's so, bring I mean, it back to... You can do it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, well, let's touch on both of them. 
So uh, um, this is energysmartohio.com. There's a bunch of case studies. Go read them. It's not about selling. It's about just telling the story. Um, so the 1900 house of the future, that was this uh, little tiny house, 1300 square feet. And uh, the homeowner uh, was somebody that I had worked for back in my insulation contracting days. And we revolutionized how his house worked. So he's, he calls me, he's like, Nate, I bought a new house. I, I want to make it really well insulated. Um, I, I want low operating costs and I want it to be comfortable. Like, yeah. Okay. And I get there and like he was tired of having a boiler and the heat that it put out. I got yeah. there and there's a hole on the basement floor where the boiler used to be. You can see the outline in the concrete. Uh, and then all of the pipes are cut. Like, this is May. I'm like, Paul, you are committed to not having a boiler anymore, aren't you? He's so like, he, yep, he, he took it out there. himself. He did all that himself. That's yeah, I incredible. got there. I'm just like, my jaw is on the floor. I'm like, well, I guess we can't use that system anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready for a change. <laughs> he was. Um, so uh, the problem with his house was uh, like two stories. The first story is easy if you have a basement. You just you put the system in the basement and you run the ducts to the floor. Not a big deal. Um, very common in the whole, whole, whole Midwest. But the attic is a problem or the second floor is a problem because unless you're going to totally gut rehab the house and run ductwork through uh, the floor between the first and second floors, mm -hmm. you don't have anywhere to go. So we took the chimney out uh, because uh -huh. we didn't need it anymore. Right. And we ran the trunks up through the chimney uh, and then ran them out into the attic uh, and then back down through the ceiling. And it was interesting because the HVAC was running before the insulation was done. So I measured the air conditioning temperature coming out of his ducts uh, and it was coming out at like 78 degrees, hmm. but it should have been coming out at about 55. <laughs> yeah. So that's what not having enough insulation does. Wow. Uh, so so we there, there was that much ducts. infiltration of, yep. of air and in the system. Coming in. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you have uninsulated ducts running through an attic and yeah. attics on a hot day can easily hit 140, 150 degrees, wow. all that heat's trying to get in. Um, so it doesn't take much to warm it up. So we spray foamed those ducts, which will be a bit of an anathema in uh, uh, California. But like I tell everybody is, I'll put my projects up against your projects. Use whatever method you want. Yeah. May the best man win. <laughs> I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and just a quick aside, you know, when we're talking about sustainability, everybody wants a silver bullet. Everybody wants the one solution that's going to work for every building type, for you know every climate or whatever, and that just doesn't exist. And and again, it brings it back to you know you need people. You need people who know how to do the job right and who know how to think mm -hmm. through the process and the integration of those systems that you were talking about in a building earlier, and apply the proper solution for the proper project. And exactly. really, at the end of the day. You know, we can talk cost savings on specific projects. We can talk uh, cost savings over time on specific projects, but there's no way to just in five minutes round up, you know, uh, what you're going to well, save or, and that's what everybody asks. Well, what am I yeah. going to save? You know, um, I'll, get, yeah, I'll let you get back actually, to Actually, yeah. So two, two points to that end. Um, so we talk about there being four buckets that the problems that we solve fit into. So there's comfort problems, there's health problems, Mm -hmm. uh, and there's moisture problems. Those are the good ones to aim at. Yeah. Because um, uh, they're, they're usually worth money. They actually have some real pain behind them. Like it's something that is worth solving. The one that you don't want to talk about is efficiency because as soon as you mention efficiency, it's what's the payback. Right. And the payback on our projects is generally between 50 and 500 years. 
Um, we had one that You're we honest, modeled man, and we laughed. <laughs> well, we had one, the payback said 997 years. And at a thousand years, it says not applicable. Um, so we were just like, sweet, look at it. And you that's something sold thousand. and executed. Um, that's great. Uh, like, savings, it's never going to matter again. Um, so I haven't seen anybody really write about this yet. But renewable energy is the cheapest energy source that mankind has known ever. Yeah. Like, it's really important to realize that. Like, uh, like you could say wood, but if you put any value on your time, um, I have a wood stove in my house and during lockdown, you know, we had extra time sure. and my in-laws brought their splitter over. And so I was splitting wood and then heating the house with it uh, yeah. and seeing what happened. And it was really interesting to learn how it ran. But I also learned that it, it took me between an hour and an hour and a half per day between splitting wood, moving the wood, bringing it inside, stoking the fire, um, you know, adding wood. And so even if you value my time at 15 bucks an hour, which is on the low side, you're talking 22, 25 bucks a day and resistance electric heat yeah. is 10 bucks a day. Um, and that's one of the most expensive forms of heat. So wood is not cheap if you actually take everything into account. Um, but anyway, uh, renewable electricity is going to be the cheapest energy source we've ever known. So efficiency really doesn't matter that much to a large degree. Um, like it does because you, I mean, we don't want to have to be building three times the number of turbines and uh, solar panels and so forth. Like we don't want to do that. But right. um, from a cost perspective, it doesn't really matter anymore unless it's an application like a hospital where there's just insane usage anyway. Yeah, I was going to bring it back to commercial buildings. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe maybe there's a, a, a delta there. Yes. You know, if, if you've got huge buildings like that. Yeah. 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 If, I mean, if, if you've got energy bills that are really substantial, you know, like five, 10, $20,000 a month. Yeah. There's something to play with, but the average house is 2000 a year mm -hmm. for electric and gas. So there's just, there's not much to save to speak of there. Um, so it's comfort so, and give us the other three again. So it, yeah, it's comfort issues. So like a uh, common one is when you walk upstairs and you feel that you're going into another climate, it's 10 degrees warmer on the second floor. As you go up the stairs, you hit, you feel it hit you in the forehead as you go. My mom and that dad's house. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, like <laughs> almost everybody has an example. Two-story houses, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, then there are health issues. So if anybody has allergies or asthma uh, or mold allergies or chemical allergies, uh, those can generally be lessened with a carefully thought out project. And then the other one is moisture issues. So um, in Rochester and Cleveland, we have ice damming problems where mm -hmm. you end up with icicles in the, the gutters and that can dump water into the house. But like bugs are always related to moisture. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you have bugs in your house, there's something wet somewhere, pretty much for sure. Um, it's a case of just about all things. Um, mold, mildew, all those sorts of things caused by moisture. So yeah. those are, are good things to aim at to fix. And you gave a, a talk recently ab about the, you know, relation to, to uh, air quality and the, the systems that you're designing and how important that is in our post-COVID era here as well. I mean, that's, that's not in those initial buckets necessarily, but health obviously is, is one of them. So that's, that's a new thing to add to that bucket for sure. It is. Um, although we've always thought about the virus side of things, really, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So that was, I assume you're uh, referring to the badass HVAC uh, presentation. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched yeah. A, a presentation that Nate was part of with the uh, Green Home Institute out of Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, and uh, Brett Little, who I actually interviewed uh, either last week or the week before for the podcast. And oh, awesome. um, yeah, so we have a, a mutual acquaintance there. Um, yeah. Badass HVAC. <laughs> Tell us a little bit. Oh, no. Now I have to now I have to make this an explicit uh, episode of the podcast. <laughs> well, just bleep it. It'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it will be funny. You're talking about HVAC and there's bad bleep HVAC. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, so the reason we gave it a cheeky name is, again, we are trying to appeal to HVAC contractors. Right. Um, so, I mean, HVAC contractors in general. So, I mean, A, they're a conservative bunch. Um, so politically, you have to think about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And B, they're usually not the cleanest mouths, we'll say. And nor am I, to be frank. Um, <laughs> so like, if you want to get their attention, you probably want to make them laugh. And if it's a little bit on the obscene side, that's a good thing. Um, but it does stand for something. It stands for big air drop, um, which is uh, it, it, the drop where the, the return air comes back into the system, the big duct, um, where we put a big filter in it. So big air drop air source system. Nice. Uh, and air source system means uh, that's an air source heat pump uh, where geothermal, as you might hear it called, which isn't actually geothermal, it's ground source, right. um, is where it pulls its heat and cool from. Uh, but um, uh, badass HVAC, it, it, it was meant to stick and it kind of has, and it works by far the best because um, or it works by far the best with a heat pump because the heat pump can provide far better dehumidification if it has the right control strategy. Um, so if the thermostat has things underneath the hood that most people are never going to care about, um, but I do, uh, if you run a heat pump only system, you can get these really good dehumidification capabilities. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing that we have found that affects air quality, aside from a little bit of outdoor air, is humidity levels. Uh, so if humidity gets too high or too low, you really need to deal with those. If you're going to deliver that comfortable, healthy, and moisture resistant house. Um, the and that's in that 40, 40 to 60% humidity-ish range. I know there's some, there's some back and forth on that. but, but Yeah, there's back and forth on that. I don't like that range because 60% is higher than where I'd ever like to be if I okay. can avoid it. Um, and 40% in the wintertime is a very bad place to be in a cold climate uh, because you'll be talking about uh, dew point. So dew point is when the air is completely full. So that's 100% humidity. Um, the dew point, I, I forget exactly where it is, but it's somewhere in the 40 to 42 degree range. Okay. So if it's 10 degrees outside and you're running 40% humidity inside, um, if that 40% humidity... Uh, air touches anything that's below uh, 42 degrees, it's going to condense. And so if there's any dust or dirt, which there always is going to be, you're going to be feeding mold and mildew and moisture and other things. So 40% is too high um, for a lot of cold climates. Um, so it's, it's a nuanced conversation, like yeah. everything. So you hear 40 to 60, I wish they'd said 30 to 50 and I'd be on board. Okay. Um, but 40 to 60, no. Um, not signing the petition. <laughs> well, based on your recommendation from now on, I'm going to say 30 to 50. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's generally pretty safe. So in, in the wintertime, we aim for 30 to 40 in a cold climate. 
Um, so California, you, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, we're all right. Um, in um, a warmer climate or in summertime, 40 to 50% is a good place to be. Um, you're probably going to be drier than that almost all the time there anyway, because it's a dry climate. Yeah. Um, you don't have as much moisture in the, the ground and the air as we do here or you so, do back home. One of the things I think is interesting, you know, we, we talk a lot uh, on the podcast about passive design and, you know, what's fantastic is that here we are to some degree talking about passive design. Like we're, we're integrating what is a mechanical system, but we're taking into account the natural environment when we're thinking and and processing, you know, how to implement that mechanical system. And so it's, it's not a all or nothing. I mean, Talk, speak a little bit to that about some of those things you mentioned dew point, but um, you know, when you're taking all the, the climate zone and uh, the, the natural heating and cooling elements of the earth and the surrounding environment, you know, how, how are you able to design a better system, a better mechanical system? Got it. So um, I was trying to decide if you were talking about like passive solar ish, like what, uh, a little bit, or, yeah, or passive house. Um, cause those oh, are no, not, not specifically things. passive house, but, um, yeah, but I mean, they, they share some principles, you know, yeah, the, just the idea, Hey, you want to harness as much of the, the wind as much of the, you know, not for turbines necessarily, but like yeah. to, to ventilate the home and, and things like that. And so I'm assuming you can kind of integrate some of those passive ideas with the actual mechanical system. Um, to some degree. Yes and no. Okay. Um, so the, here's the curse. <laughs> yeah. Put some air quality monitors in and they will break all kinds of things that you thought were true. <laughs> 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 you start measuring stuff. You're like, well, it should be like this, but it's not like that at all. Um, <laughs> so uh, in a dry climate, you can probably flip between windows open and windows closed. Mm-hmm. Um, in a humid climate, it's actually very problematic. Um, so you may open the windows um, and if it's very humid at all outside, that moisture that previously you had pumped out and you were keeping out with the HVAC in a reasonably tight envelope, now that moisture is coming back in. Um, and then when you close the windows, that moisture soaks into everything mm-hmm. and it activates volatile organic compounds. So your air quality gets way worse when you close the windows up. And from watching air quality monitors, it takes three to seven days to pump the VOC levels back down to where they were before you open the windows. Um, So that's a problem. And then also if you are in a place with poor air quality, so the the top 10 worst air quality cities in the country for particulates, the first eight are all California. So good job guys. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a special little area of California called Santa Monica where our prevailing winds come right off the ocean. So, you know, it's, it's also interesting to note, you know, with that no silver bullet thing that those air quality thing, you know, in big cities like Los Angeles, they're measuring it, you know, in a couple places in downtown and that's where they're getting that number extrapolated out over the the whole of greater Los Angeles. And you probably have, you know, thousands of different readings, depending on which way the there wind's going in and all that. Uh, but uh, so the, 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 if the top eight worst are California, ninth yeah, then, and 10th are usually Pittsburgh and Cleveland. <laughs> um, sometimes Cincy's in there. So sometimes you get Cincinnati. Uh, well, good job to you guys then too. Yes, we are sucking it up. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> making air quality worse one day at a time. Uh, uh, but um, 
so if your outdoor air quality is poor, you also need to have the house closed up. So the, the point is an HVAC system should have the capability of keeping the air inside the house healthy. Um, and then if you want to open the windows, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, and it's a very frustrating realization, um, if you live in a humid climate, you should probably keep your windows closed, you know, pretty much whenever the weather's nice, um, which is obnoxious and not a fun thing to figure out. Uh, so it doesn't mean I like it. And a lot of my clients totally ignore me. And one of them in particular, uh, she's awesome. Um, so she fixed one house, electrified it. And then her parents, uh, her dad had some health issues. So she wanted to have them closer. They were three hours away. So she moved them up right uh, down the street and then fixed another house up right up the road. Hmm. So her mom keeps the house closed up all the time. And uh, my client keeps the windows open all the time. And uh, my, my client's air quality readings are horrible compared to her mom's. And it's the same system. Uh, yeah. like, like the numbers are really similar in both houses. Uh, so it's one of those things that's hard to figure out or it's, it's hard to find out. Um, so it's going to depend where you are. So yeah. where you are in Santa Monica, you're probably fine. Like it's dry, the air is clean, let it blow. Um, yeah. But if you get a house to where it's, it's pretty efficient, like air conditioning costs shouldn't break 200 bucks a year. That's incredible. Um, in fact, might be more like a hundred. So it shouldn't be anything that really bothers anyone, um, at least cost-wise. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a challenging thing. Another thing I'd suggest looking up, actually. And in fact, you might want to have her on, um, Linda Wigington. Okay. Um, and ping me if I uh, forget to uh, g- give you more info. Um, she is. Uh, so there's the godfather. She would be the godmother um, of the, the building performance industry. So, I mean, she's forgotten more than I'll ever know. Um, and also happens to be just a particularly sweet person. Um, she's got a hard edge to her, but you don't see it very often. That's um, awesome. She's just a very kind soul. Uh, so she started the, the big um, uh, group in the big trade show that uh, I really kind of cut my teeth in. Okay. But she has started a program in Pittsburgh called Rockus. It's uh, reducing outdoor contaminants in indoor spaces. So they've been doing these cohorts. She has a pretty good particle monitor that she puts inside the house and the same particle monitor, which is also pretty good, another one outside the house. And then a mm-hmm. third one inside the house, just to make sure that, you know, the readings on one of them are, aren't totally crazy. And uh, she found the same thing that we did. You need to have a really good filtration system on a house and you generally want your windows closed if the outdoor air quality is bad. And the, the curse about, knowing whether outdoor air quality is bad is it could be good and bad um, three times on the same day. Right. Um, So like uh, there is no way to be sure of it. So unfortunately windows closed is um, according to the science and the measurement that I've done, the the best way to run in a humid climate. And if you get down South anyway, like you get to South Carolina or Florida, um, you think they run the windows open this summer? <laughs> no, definitely Heck not. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's their winner. Um, I, I joke that wherever you live, you spend three months of the year running from the house to the car. <laughs> um, so in Florida, it's summer in Cleveland, Rochester, it's winter. <laughs> yep. Well, if you can live in Southern California or Hawaii or Central America in the mountains, you're good to go. <laughs> um, but that's about it. 
Um, uh, there's not that many climates that are that nice. So congratulations on finding one. Um, but uh, in general, I guess the, the kind of the key point to pull all that back together is we're going to need HVAC in almost all climates, almost all the year. Um, we get our shoulder seasons for two, three, four months of the year, something like that. But the rest of the year, the other eight months, you're going to need heating or cooling depending on what climate you're in. Uh, yeah. So Badass HVAC is largely about showing a very simple system that's pretty easy to sell, pretty easy to install, uh, that works in basically every climate zone and uh, provides very good comfort and very good air quality uh, without being extremely smart. Because if you want to control your air quality with residential HVAC equipment, mm -hmm. Good luck. Yeah. It doesn't exist yet. It's coming, um, but uh, it, we're, we've largely found that it's not that critical. If you run your fan all the time, um, uh, your furnace, your air conditioner fan, and you've got, what you're going to do is you're going to run all that air in your house through the filter. And we like to pipe in a little bit of outdoor air. So if the fan's running, a little bit of outside air is coming in. Yeah. Uh, and then by mixing, if you get one room that's a little warmer or cooler than the other ones, if you mix it, you're basically treating the house like a vinaigrette and stirring it all the time. <laughs> uh, and so just the simple act of running the fan, which used to be really expensive. So the old school fans, uh, was PSC is the, the name of it. They burned 500 to 1,000 watts when they were running, pretty much no matter what you did, did to them. But they also didn't care if you gave them a bunch of back pressure. So if you made them work hard, they were just like Mongo. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay, this is fine. I'll just go a little bit slower. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and then the modern fans, the ECM fans, are more like a, a prima donna European football player where you touch <laughs> them on the shoulder and they're like, oh! Um, uh, just like, you're being stupid. Like, they're, they're very sensitive. So you have to be careful about the install. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to be that careful. You just need to know a few things. So... We're, we're trying to popularize a system that naturally provides better comfort, naturally provides better air quality, and also naturally leans to, towards being all electric. Well, and, um, and if, I, if I could jump in for a second, you know, I've heard from other uh, professionals, uh, not, not just in the HVAC space, but other sort of green building when it comes to materials or other processes or, you know, some of these things that are trying to scale and trying to gain momentum. Um, Th that same thing that really, you know, if you say, Hey, go, go check out the HVAC 2.0, Google HVAC 2.0 for anybody who's listening. And for anybody who's in the sales space in green building at all in any, any number of products, because really what you do is lay out a really good plan for how to I have a background sales. So a really good plan for how to say, listen, I will totally sell you this. And that's what you have right now. And it'll continue working. However, I can't uh, get behind it when it comes to comfort. I can't get behind it when it comes to health. And I can't get, get behind it, you know. Uh, but for you know, a nominal fee, 250, 300 bucks, you know, whatever, um, I would love to do an in-depth. You know, I worked in the fitness industry. And that's the same thing we did. You know, we said, hey, listen, I'll sell you a gym membership for sure. And you can come in here. But how many other gyms have you, uh, have you been at in the past where you stopped going and why was that? And let's really examine that. <laughs> and then what I can do is I can set you up with 
a trainer and a training program. It's going to cost a little bit extra, but what it's going to do is set you up for success where you now know how to use the gym in the right way. And you understand why all these machines are here and you understand how to move your body in a, in a functional way. So, you know, you're the, you're a king of metaphors, I have to say. So hopefully that one, uh, that one fits in nicely there. No, that, that's a really good one. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, as humans, we think in analogies a lot of the time. So um, it's like is one of the best ways to get a a point across. I mean, uh, uh, it's a, I, I think about, the pastors that I've known through the years and they always start off with a personal story about their life that somehow magically manages to morph into what their subject is for that, <laughs> that week. Um, uh, Cause yeah, you, you, you need a story. You need a comparison usually for most people. Um, yeah. But that was amazing uh, actually how you put that. Cause that's, that's very much how the 2.0 process is set up. So if you're okay with it, let's touch on it for a minute. Um, yeah. Cause anybody who out there who wants to steal some pieces of this, please do. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, um, it, it'll it'll be challenging to flesh out. Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> if you want to not make a ton of money for a decade, this is a really good path to tread. Uh, <laughs> um, this has not been the most profitable way. I, I, I should have sold my soul and gone to work in the corporate world, and I'd be retired already. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, um, uh, so the the way that our process works, I think of it to some extent like going to the school nurse. So say a hundred kids go to the school nurse, um, 80 of them are probably going to be, you know, treated for something minor, you know, given a band aid, given an ibuprofen, whatever, and sent back to class. Um, that's the people that are going to do a simple change out for HVAC. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to interest them in anything. So you've got this, we'll give you the same size stuff and you can roll on. And like you said, like, no, no guarantees, no nothing. Um, it'll work. Like uh, it will turn on and off when you ask it to. Um, That's all we're doing here. Um, Then the next level is going to the hospital. Um, But it's not necessarily like a critical thing. It's like, all right, we need to run some tests and see what's going on um, and try and diagnose it and figure it out and see if we need to do more tests beyond that. And we think that about 20% of people will go that way. So 20 kids at 100 would go that direction. Um, and 15 or 18 of those kids would get some specialized bit of treatment, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal, which in this case is let's, um, let's put in a better piece of HVAC, like a badass kind of system where we can actually help you with those problems. So uh, that process is where the whole goals, house needs and budget come in. Uh, Mm -hmm. We call it a comfort consult. Um, So, and out of the comfort consult, most of those, like I said, about 15 are probably just going to go by HVAC and it will help fix a lot of their problems. And if we make sure that a heat pump is part of every one of those systems, whether it's a hybrid or a straight heat pump, at least that's huge. Um, And then for the the couple of stragglers, we're like, man, this kid's really messed up. Um, Like it's time for the ICU. We're going to have to cut them open. You know, we're going to have to figure out what's going on. Uh, That is the process that we designed um, our deep retrofits for. Like we were talking about with the 1900 house where the the guy ripped his boiler up before it got there and all that. And we ran the ducks up through the attic and spray foamed them and then blue cellulose on top. Spray foam for the Um, the water situation. And yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that was all, that's a pretty intense project, but I only expect a couple percent of houses to actually go that far. Mm -hmm. Um, But because the process is built to handle those really bad ones, um, I mean, imagine having a hospital with no ICU. You're just like, please don't have anybody come in that's really sick. Please don't, like they're going (laughs) to die. Um, Like you need to have the ICU. 
So we figured out the first working intensive care unit. Uh, uh, But then we realized we only have an ICU. We don't have a hospital or a clinic. Hmm. Um, So HVAC 2.0 through the HVAC contractors, it gives us a way um, to cover the whole spectrum. Because all the houses that found me are these really messed up houses where people had tried repeatedly to try and fix something. And they're like, we've spent 10 grand, nothing worked. What do we have to do now? Like, well, for starters, we got to spend five grand undoing what you did. Um, and then we can start doing it right. Uh, so you just <laughs> wasted $15,000. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate telling people that. Um, like, uh, I've had to learn to be a little bit of a sadist in what I do, but that is <laughs> not my natural personality. I don't yeah. want to say you're a freaking moron. You just pissed away $15,000. I hope you're looking forward to working for another year before you retire because of that decision um like that's that's not a nice way to put it but that's kind of the facts you know um uh, so in figuring out the whole 2.0 process uh if you know that you can confidently march into any house that has any uh, level of difficulty of problem are you more comfortable offering solutions that otherwise you wouldn't so that's what we needed. Or um, taking a step back to um, my young life days, which is uh, it's a, a Christian high school outreach group. And they're very good at strategy. Um, so their strategy is you want to be able to reach the kid in the back of the room. Yeah. So if you're bringing somebody into uh, a meeting and you need to design for the kid who just took his hit of pot on the way in, um, and got dragged there kicking and screaming by his buddy. Uh, if, if you can reach that kid, you get the whole rest of the room. Nice. Um, so I very much view it as if we can hit the house in the back of the room, we'll get everybody else. But for starters, well, we had a process that only would appeal to the kid in the back of the room. <laughs> and yeah. we needed to appeal to everyone in the room. So we're there on that now, I think. That's cool. So that's, that's kind of the strategy and the, the thought process behind it. That's awesome. Um, um, I want to transition just a little bit before we, uh, before we close out here. You have the electrify everything, hashtag electrify everything on, uh, behind you on the wall there. Okay. And, um, you know, I know you're a part of the movement. Can you just real briefly give us kind of where that came from? Cause it's not just you, it's, it's you and others. Um, and I've actually attended, I think green home Institute did a electrify everything. It was like a year ago or so uh, webinar that, that uh, I think, I mean, I, you were part of that, I believe. I'm yeah, now putting I'm trying it to together. Think, what was my subject on that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I think that was me. Um, um, because, uh, so, and so, so a little bit of history and then the, the two main things I, I would love to hear from you. Um, because a lot of people talk about when you were talking about transitioning over to, to solar or not to solar to um, all electric, people talk about electricity costs. We've already kind of go, gone over that. So we don't really mm-hmm. need to do that, but peak loads. And I mean, how, how are we going to design a grid that's going to allow everybody because right now you hear a lot of people talk about if, if everybody switched over to electric right now, the grid would be totally overwhelmed. It'd be nuts. Prices would, you know, skyrocket, you know, peak demand would go off the hook. Um, so that's, that's kind of one. And then there's the other thing that people are really, <laughs> you know, uh, not aware of, which is the health and some of the like 
electromagnetic frequencies and things like that, 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 you know, so that's not a particularly uh, good thing, I guess, to talk about when you're talking, you know, moving into the electrify everything. But those are sort of the two biggest things I hear when I'm talking to folks okay. about this is, you know, the, the energy piece and then also um, EMF. Yeah. EMF. And how do we, how do we stay safe? Uh, is it safe to have so many electrical uh, appliances and um, devices in our homes? And what can we do about that? Well, I'll start with EMF. Um, I'm not hugely knowledgeable in this, but I've definitely touched it uh, enough to talk a little bit about it. So um, first off, EMF is primarily a factor of how close you are. Um, so I, I don't know exactly. It's like a factor of squares, you know, where when you yeah. get three feet away from it, it's 50% and then, you know, down to 5% and another uh, three feet or whatever it might be. Um, the the so parabolic curve, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a proximity problem to a large extent with it. Um, uh, and then there's also, there's a shielding problem. And generally the higher end HVAC is pretty well shielded. Because in my understanding, one of the big issues with uh, EMF is uh, our power runs at 120 uh, volts and 60 hertz. And it's the hertz that really matters. Hmm. Um, so if we have LED lights running at partial power, they'll end up running at like 240 hertz or 480 hertz. Like it'll be a multiple of 60. Interesting. And um, that can mess with our bodies. Th those frequencies our bodies don't like. So there, there can be issues with certain things. Now, that said, um, I've dealt with a few uh, mold-sensitive clients, and I've talked to a few practitioners in this. So in general, EMF sensitivity uh, starts to come into play when your body's really messed up. So for starters, you live in a moldy house where um, you're, you're breathing things in and you're, you're, um, you're setting your body off in a bunch of ways, a bunch of allergic responses. And you get to where your body is wildly out of control. Um, and usually you're pretty miserable. And a lot of those people have to leave their house wholesale, cannot step foot in, cannot take anything with them. Wow. Um, like it's, if you get really bad on the sensitivities, that's, that's where it goes. Um, uh, now, thankfully that's not a large chunk of the population, but they are there. Um, my mom is moisture sensitive actually. Um, so you start with the moisture sensitivities, the mold sensitivities, then you get some chemical sensitivities. And then if you really get bad, you start getting EMF sensitivities. Um, so that's my understanding of it. Doesn't mean that's 100% correct because in general, when you bring up EMF with people, like it, for the longest time, we're like, this is just a bunch of fooey. Like everybody wears a tinfoil hat. Like this is crazy. Like where's yeah. the science behind it? They're like, well, you do this and it's bad. Woo. And I'm like, woo, <laughs> doesn't work on me anymore. That worked great when I was eight, but right. I'm 42. Like, shut up, show me the science. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there is at least some behind it. But in general, my understanding is you have to be, in a very unhealthy uh, environment for a fairly long time before it's a problem. So and there are plenty of other places to start to uh, basically. Yes. Is what you're so saying. you That's start great. by making your environment healthy, which yeah. is what something like badass HVAC does. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Cause there's also a wonderful thing uh, called the Corsi code. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Rich Corsi. Um, he was in university of Texas. I think he's in Portland now. Uh, so he says we, we live 79 years. We spend 70 of those indoors, 54 of those in our house. So a huge chunk of our lives, and we breathe about 3,000 gallons a day. 
Um, so a huge chunk of that 3,000 gallons a day that we breathe, we have direct control over because it's inside mm -hmm. our house. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to avoid the EMF and the mold and the other stuff, make your house a healthy place to be because you can control that and that's where you spend the majority of your life. Yeah. So that's step one. Um, so hopefully that covers the EMF side. Yeah, um, for sure. I appreciate that. The, uh, the other piece uh, is more of a, a policy in a, in a giant piece. So electrify everything. Um, it, it was around apparently before David Roberts of Vox popularized it. Um, mm -hmm. So he wrote an article with that headline and it's, it's a very good distillation. But the basics of it are um, we can either run on clean energy or we can run on dirty energy. And the only clean energy that we're really good at making as humans is electricity. So if we want to run on clean energy, everything needs to run on electricity. So we need to electrify everything. Yep. Um, that's the, the basic thing. Um, and most end uses are actually really well suited to doing that. So heat pumps are a wonderful way to keep our spaces warm. Um, uh, electric cars done well, like a Tesla, are an amazing experience. Um, yeah. I, I love watching the, uh, so I'm a car guy. Um, like I, nice. I grew up around very fancy, expensive old cars. Uh, um, I drove a Ferrari Testarossa and was horribly disappointed by it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just like spent my, my whole childhood like, man, I'd love to drive a Testarossa. And I drove like, what a turd. Like nothing happens until 4,000 RPM. It was such, such a, a bummer. Yeah. But I'm a car guy, so I love how fast the electric cars are. Um, so like the, the top of the line Tesla Model S is the fastest quarter mile car on the market right now. Um, that's crazy. It's a four door. It weighs 5,000 pounds. It shouldn't be able to beat Ferraris and Lamborghinis and things like that, but it does. Yeah. Um, so electric stuff is not a sacrifice anymore. And that's a pretty recent change. That's the last decade that all of that has flipped. So mm -hmm. good heat pumps have gotten good in the last decade. EVs have gotten good in the last decade. King has been getting more and more popular and really good in the last decade. Um, so our main uses of fossil fuels, um, there isn't a huge benefit to using fossil fuels anymore like there was. So electrifying everything is oftentimes desirable. Yeah. Um, but we have to let people know because again, we have that 80s diesel fuel or feel of like, oh yeah, my parents had a heat pump. They hated that thing. They ripped that thing out just as soon right. as they could. Um, like it was poorly applied and it was a bad piece of equipment. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't a modern piece of equipment. So if we want to move people towards electrify everything, there's some upfront education that needs to happen. Um, the biggest thing is cooking. Yeah. That's, that's the keystone of everything. Cause the yeah. only emotional connection that we have to fossil fuels in our houses is usually the gas cooktop. Cause you see it, it's nice to cook on. It's nice how you turn it up and down quickly. Like it's, it's a nice piece of equipment and regular electric cooking sucks. It moves slow. You burn stuff. Like it's mm -hmm. not a good feel, but induction is really nice, but you have to get somebody to try it. Right. Um, and if you can get them to try it, that means the hardest thing to electrify in their house, the stove is no longer a problem. And then the HVAC and the water heater, they're technical problems. It's not a big deal. We need to mm -hmm. do some math. We need to do a little homework, but it'll work fine. It's not a yeah. big deal. And it's worth mentioning that, you know, methane, uh, despite any political things going on right now, um, you know, me methane tends to be, the science will tell us that it is, what, like 10 times worse than CO2 in the, uh, is it 20? Concentration yeah. of 
you know, greenhouse gas, the, the GHG, um, uh, oh man, I just blanked on the, GWP, the term. Global GWP, yeah, yeah, the yeah. global warming potential, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, so if you could build a house that has absolutely zero potential for any methane leakage, um, it'll help the environment. Methane's also really bad for us uh, humans, yep. you know? And so, yeah, you, there's all, always gonna be that cost benefit, you know? All right, well, I got more electric things in my home, so maybe I'm scared about EMFs, maybe I'm not, who knows? Don't but be. at the end of the day, that's way better than yeah. uh, breathing in methane or, or natural gas or um, the, the byproducts of cooking with natural gas, which are also Horrible. hazardous yeah. to uh, human health. Horrible. And I heard this other thing um, where because of the weight of those gases, mm-hmm. our dogs and children tend to be the ones that uh, are at most at risk because they're closest to the floor. And so the, those gases actually end up being around the floor, which was really alarming to me to hear. So yeah, I don't know if you can speak to that at all or, you know, just kind of piggyback on that. Well, that, that, that piece, uh, the, the gases being heavy is uh, outside my area of expertise. So I can't really <laughs> talk about it very much, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would probably be a good thing for the show notes, um, wherever the resource was that you heard that. Yeah, exactly. I'll um, throw that in there. Uh, but yeah, so as far as bad gases in the kitchen, though, something that people don't realize is, so California has fairly strict regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for nitrous uh, dioxide or nitrous oxides, which is the common uh, byproduct of combustion, uh, most kitchens get to five to 10 times the legal limit of uh, nitrous oxides um, while you're cooking with a gas stove. Wow. So it's really, really bad, the stuff that happens. Um, and I remember like, I, we had this really cool stove. I loved it. It actually came from California. It was an O'Keefe Merritt that my hmm. wife's uncle had bought and brought back with him. And then it parked in her grandparents' house and he moved again. We're like, so can we have it? We bought it from him. And I noticed that cooking over that thing, I wasn't feeling well. Really? Um, so I actually noticed the direct effects because uh, it burned a lot of gas. That was yeah. a big stove. Um, <laughs> it had standing pilots, which I was not a big fan of, but it was a gorgeous piece of equipment, just a beautiful stove. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, when we flipped over, I, I didn't feel bad when I was cooking anymore. Um, so now we have induction with a, a decent range hood on top. Because um, nice. even if you cook with induction, you're still combusting the food. Uh, cooking is by definition combusting food. Uh, so you still want to have a range hood to get those fumes out. Uh, mm-hmm. If there's any feasible way to get out of your house, that's what uh, that uh, a range hood and bathroom fans are uh, very, very important from an air quality perspective because you get the pollutants out where they're produced and then you use a central system to generally um, take care of the air quality in the house. Cause you're depressurizing at those, at those points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're sucking on it. In general, not that I want to get into this, but we we actually prefer pressurization for fresh air. Um, oh, interesting. You you put a little bit of air in. It's not a lot, and you let it find its way out. Nice. Um, in general, it will like if if you're in a humid climate and you're keeping the air dry, if you push that into the building materials, you're going to tend to dry the building materials out. Um, and so you can help reduce moisture problems that way. Is it perfect? No. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a start. Well, and that's a pretty good, uh, pretty fun 
application of sort of that integration that we're talking about, you know, when it comes to buildings and systems and, and everything is, hey, if I can use, uh, you know, this, this one element to kill two birds with one stone or three or four or whatever, then great. You know, that's the kind of efficiency, a different kind of efficiency uh, than, yeah. than the efficiency we were talking about before. It's right. efficiency of systems and efficiency in, um, in actual use versus just energy efficiency. Yeah, you need stacked benefits in everything that we do. Um, so efficiency is just one of the stacked benefits that comes along. Um, but if you get a, a comfortable, healthy place to live, that's, that's the ideal piece. And it will naturally tend towards to run on clean energy. So it doesn't suck. So it's, it, it's an outcome or a byproduct rather than a goal is what we find. Full circle, man. That's great. Here we uh, are. I'll give you the opportunity to throw out, yeah, any any websites, any additional links um, that anybody can go to if they want to check out Electrify Everything, if they want to check out HVAC 2.0, if they want to check out Nate the uh, House Whisperer or um, Nate the, the Metaphor King. <laughs> so I may have to take that one on. I kind of like that one. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll, I'll start with, um, it's just a bunch of information. So in general, you'll find my sites are much more information than there's anything salesy on them. Um, so electrifyeverything.net, I would start with. So that is where I've collated a bunch of content I've made about electrification through the years. So that has the case studies, like we were starting to talk about the 1900 and 1918 uh, houses. Uh, it talks about how heat pumps work, the different types of heat pumps, things like that. There's a lot of information there. So um, step one, electrification is usually a little scary, but if you get to know it a little bit, it's, it's a technical problem and it's not a difficult technical problem at that. Um, so electrifyeverything.net is a good place to start. That has links on it that go to um, two of our other websites. So there's energysmartohio.com and that is the website for our uh, practice, which is kind of winding down anyway. So, uh, although in a very cool manner, um, I was thinking I was going to have to kill the practice because we're going to be leaving for a year to do van life, um, and travel cool. the country because we have school sponsored homeschooling and two <laughs> of our clients stepped up and they're like, well, heck we'll help you out. So they're going to take over the practice. No way. That's um, fantastic. So how often do you hear about clients, not just one, but multiple clients getting sucked into something? Um, and they're That's awesome. Great. I love both these guys. Uh, you end up getting friends out of this process. Uh, like that's a pretty common thing. Uh, so, uh, uh, energysmartohio.com. There's a bunch of information there and the case studies are probably the ideal thing. So you can see what these projects look like. Sometimes. Yeah. Check them out. Cause there's also some testimonials on there for, from the homeowners themselves and, and really the, the comfort and health benefits that they experience firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, we really change houses. The, the really consistent feedback we get is I can't believe this is the same house. <laughs> um, so you can really change them, but you have to hit them pretty hard. Um, so, yeah. so a lot of people are like, dink, dink, dink. And we're like, I'm going to go get the sledgehammer. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we get it done. So energysmartohio.com is one. And the other one, I wrote a book called the home comfort book. Um, and most of it is available free. Four of the six chapters are free. So if you go to natethehousewhisperer.com, you can download those chapters. Um, and uh, those are, it's meant to, what I, what I found was I went looking through about 30 different books for a book that assumed that you knew nothing about building science, but were pretty intelligent. Yeah. Um, 
to bring you up. So there, a 101 was needed. Like everything I read was 301, 401, 501. I'm like, this is, this is too intense to start with. I can't read this. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the 101 um, uh, for building science and then also for HVAC. So those are the two chapters that are uh, the, the best ones to download free. Um, so those are key. And then if you happen to be an HVAC contractor or an HVAC practitioner, uh, look at HVAC2O.com. Uh, so we ha have spent this last 10 years finding a scalable process uh, for making healthy, comfortable homes the norm and not the exception yeah. and making them available to anybody who wants them. So we needed a contractor network. So HVAC 2.0 is, it's essentially a business model for selling HVAC that also sells building performance for HVAC contractors. And fingers crossed that will scale quickly in the next couple of years. Um, uh, initial signs are good. All the numbers we thought that we might start getting to sales wise and uh, closing ratio wise for these guys, they're all coming to pass. That's um, awesome. So early signs are really good. Um, we're in alpha mode for that right now. So uh, it, we aren't all the way there with it, but there is a working piece of software today. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Nate. It's been a pleasure. Nate Adams, um, my five month old, you know, this is the most uh, interested he's been in, in any of the, the podcasts that I've done so far. So you, you, you won there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you could hear him at all the whole time, but no, I couldn't at all. Okay, That's... good. He's been cooing here and there. Um, but yeah, it's a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. Really fun. Uh, guy, really great writer. I enjoyed reading, you know, all the things and prepping for this uh, online and just a, a wealth of information. So I appreciate you taking time to, to be on the podcast and uh, continued success with all your work. And all that comes right back to you. Thank you for having me on and thank you for all of your work, Ian. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.